Is the law bad? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by the Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. Josh, how's it going, man? I'm doing well, man. Good to be here. Excited to talk about some Galatians. That's right. That's right. We are uh, we are zigging out of Acts. Um, Josh, like we were talking about last week, we've been doing this zigzag thing in and out of the narrative of Acts and into, into the epistles here and there really picking up on passages that illustrate, uh, that that have a connection to events that are going on in Acts, whether they're overtly happening around the same time, or they are events that um, thematically resonate with what's going on. And so today we're looking at Acts, or Galatians chapter 3, um, and so this is a very famous passage, especially for one that are for people who like to get a little bit jabby in their, sure. you know, in their their language and in their approach to life. So uh, how about we set up some context and then we'll read the passage and ask a few questions. Well, sure. And, and Galatians is an important uh, epistle or, or letter. We want to call it that uh, in the in the New Testament uh, collection of, of literature, because it, it might be the first of Paul's uh, letters uh, to to the churches, so we we get to see Paul put an emphasis on the gospel at a very early time uh, in in his ministry, at least in terms of when he started uh, writing writing to churches. So either this one or maybe First Thessalonians might have been the first one he had written, and James probably preceded them both. But you're getting a glimpse into some of the issues that were prevalent in the in the in the early church, and uh, by Paul's tone, and we might get into this in a couple mi- couple minutes we really see uh, what he's impassioned about and what he considers first order and primary to the to the gospel uh, but in terms of around the time that that scholars can approximate when it was when it was written is maybe around uh, AD 48 so you know a couple decades before the destruction of the Jerusalem temple so uh, the Jewish Christian, uh, you know, the Judaism's interaction with Christianity very much at the forefront of, uh, of the Gospels uh, going out. And this, this could have been written around the same time as the Jerusalem Council, uh, likely preceded it, in fact, is, is, is seems to be where the scholarly consensus is uh, on, on that matter and the, the whole issue of what does a Gentile who wants to follow Jesus have to do in order to be considered a part of the new covenant community uh, of God? That's that's really what what's at, at the heart of, of what Paul is addressing here. All right. Well, what we're going to do is, because this is such an urgent matter, we're actually going to read almost the entirety of the chapter here. Uh, so I'm going to take a deep breath or two, and then we're going to get into this. So uh, all right, so here is Galatians 3. We're going to go up to the end of verse 20, or we're going to go up to about verse 26, and that's uh, and that's where we're going to end up. So here we go. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before the, whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or try, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if, in fact, it was for nothing? So then, 
does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law, or by, is it by believing what you heard, just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness? You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scriptures saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the, the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was, uh, was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that he could receive the promised spirit through faith, so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ. My point is, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. It is, uh, is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned under the coming until the coming faith was revealed. The law, then, was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For those, uh, for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. So there's a whole lot there. A whole lot there. Yes, yes. Now, um, what are some questions that we should be asking as we, as we consider this passage? Well, one of the things we want to and we might not be able to but, but help but notice is that Paul's tone here, very serious, very impassioned about uh, 
what he's responding to in terms of the teaching that seems to be uh, affecting the, the Galatian church. And so why does he open chapter 3 uh, with, with an insult, calling them, you foolish Galatians? Uh, in most of our church settings, we're not going to open Sunday school that way by berating <laughs> the class and calling them foolish. It's usually uh, not a good idea. Right, though I did uh, teach a uh, lesson on this this passage, by the way, is a bit of anecdote uh, called I Pity the Fool, to quote some pop culture, uh, Mr. Mr. T. You know, Mr. T is a good uh, is a good person to be quoting. I mean, he's speaking he's speaking more faithfully than a lot of other people these days, it seems. That, that is true, <laughs> that is true, but lest we, lest we get too distracted with pop culture references, this will likely happen again sometimes. Absolutely it will. Um are are we are we to use Galatians three as an excuse to to be a jerk to others in order to advance our our theological interests or our our concerns? And of course, we 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 should say no. But there's there's a reason. There's a, there's a there's a method to Paul's. Uh, um, I guess you could say rhetorical madness here uh, in speaking uh, in this this sort of. Um, severe way he's using harsh language because uh, the matter of the false teaching so so serious the the nature of how the gospel is received and how sinners are made right before God is, is at stake in terms of the uh, Galatian Christians understanding uh, of the gospel and how they become part of the community of God and how they uh, relate to God uh, individually so that, that that's that's what's behind this this serious rhetoric uh, we're, we're seeing sort of an embodied or emotional reflection in Paul of, of theological triage. We, we, we've probably talked about this in other podcast episodes where not all doctrines are of equal importance. There are some things that are revealed more clearly and as more uh, central, more essential to the gospel and scripture, and the, and the church has recognized that through the ages. So mm-hmm. uh, your your view on something like uh, the, the sequence of events around Jesus' return is not as important as, say, the doctrine of the Trinity and should we worship Jesus as one who is fully God and fully man. Uh, those, those aren't on the, on the same level. Uh, your view of baptism isn't on the same level as your view of justification and the nature of salvation itself. So uh, we we um, we want to um, understand here that Paul is is speaking to the Galatians in such a sh- such a sharp tone, really, uh, because it's a first order issue that he sees the gospel is at stake. A clear understanding of the gospel um, is really is really uh, in the balance here in terms of the the false teachers who are influencing uh, the the Galatians, and so he uses this language of bewitching you, which really has some some even connotations of the of the spiritual warfare that might mm-hmm. be might be. Uh, be in effect, and and that is really really important because there is this there is this sense in which um, combating all false teaching is really an act of of spiritual warfare. Because right. I mean, there is a sense in which all counterfeit gospels are ultimately from the devil. Right. Um, now, what that doesn't mean, of course, is is that we look at all false teaching and say, "Well, that guy's a that guy's you know a demon." That person might just be wrong, right? <laughs> too, but there is on a on a fundamental level, there is there is that relationship that's there. Um, the goal is not to to go heresy hunting, of course. The goal is to um, plead and win back mm-hmm. those people, even false teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we'll and as we'll we'll talk about a little bit later, um, not everyone that we would think is a false teacher 
necessarily is, or not everyone that we think is a genuine teacher is either. So um, that's that's where we have to be wise and right. we have to have to have to be thoughtful in how we yes. how we approach this. Yes, as the kids say these days, there there are levels to this. So a lot of times when we label someone a false teacher or a heretic, we mean they are intentionally and knowingly promoting something that is contrary to the gospel, what the church has recognized for centuries that has been clear in Scripture, something that's in the creeds of the confessions, uh, something that, that, we've, that the church has historically looked at as this is clear, this is, essential, this is an essential element to the gospel, they're a false teacher. It's not to call people who might disagree with us on our, our view of baptism or church government or our, our view about the millennium to label them a false teacher. We might think they're in error, but this is mm-hmm. an error with a little e where there's room for a lot of charity. When, we, when we're talking yeah. about false teachers, we're talking about truth with a capital T, um, claim, cl- truth claims on the level of, of, of first priority. To, right. If it, if, it, if it distorts the gospel, right. if it distorts who God is, mm-hmm. Um, then, then it's appropriate to use the, you know, the H word. Um, mm-hmm. But if you just, if it's just something you disagree with, then it, then we need to, we need to not be quite so liberal with, with throwing that, throwing that word around. Yes, it's, exactly. It's like how in, um, uh, in, de- in debate, um, as soon as someone throws out, in, of any kind of debate, as soon as someone references Hitler, a debate <laughs> is over. Because and it's also lazy argumentation, but um, as soon as you as soon as you drop heretic, um, you can't you can't walk back from that. Right. Um, it's like in a fight with your wife. If you drop if you drop the word divorce out there, um, you don't get to walk that back. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know you got to go to couples counseling. Yes. <laughs> for sure. Yes. But uh, but yeah. So. so. Uh, so another question that comes up in this passage is uh, because right after after Paul is saying, "Who uh, you foolish Galatians? Who's cast a spell on you? Who has bewitched you?" Um, he's he goes after them and he's saying, "You know, I told you what the gospel is. I proclaimed this, and you believed it. So what up?" And he asks these five questions about this that we see that we see in that first chunk of of the book that ultimately leads into his discussion of Abraham and uh, and justification by faith, which we'll get to in a second. But what is he doing here? Is he, is he actually expecting people to answer these questions? And the answer, of course, is no. Right. Um, one of the things that we do have to remember about Paul is, um, despite what you may have heard, Paul is actually a terrific communicator um, on every level. He is... He is Um, He is excellent at written communication. He knows how to build an argument. He knows how to get people to think. Um, There are very few people who are as good as he was even today um, at this. And so he's using he's using uh, rhetorical questions in this. Uh, They're questions that the answers are actually obvious, but he's asking them to make them uh, to make the hearer think. And he's asking the Galatians essentially to look back on their experiences with and in the true gospel, the gospel that actually saved them as opposed to this counterfeit that's trying to lead them astray. So did they get so did um, did God work among them 
through the gospel that Paul proclaimed or through this, this cheap imitation that is burdening them. And, he's, and they should be able to look and say, well, it was what Paul, Paul preached. Right. That's what brought, um, that's what s- saw us, you know, saw the Holy Spirit come among us. That's what saw uh, miracles happen among us. That's what led to this, that, and the other thing. Um, and, and that is really important for us because he's saying, look at the fruit. Look exactly. at the fruit of the teaching. If it's bad fruit, then it's garbage. Right. Yeah, he's pointing them to that they've received the gospel in such clear terms that it's almost as if, uh, using a rhetorical device that he does here, uh, that Jesus was publicly crucified before them. Now, as we know, Jesus was historically crucified in Jerusalem. Yeah, about 18 years prior to this. Sure, sure. So he's not (laughs) saying that they were there firsthand to experience the physical crucifixion of Jesus, but Paul was determined in his ministry to make Christ and him crucified known to all those who, um, all those he could, and that's what they experienced in their reception of the gospel. So if they could see that the, that Paul's message was true and that Jesus died for them and taking the curse of the law and the curse of sin upon himself to redeem them, then they should be able to recognize that this teaching that that's come their way is patently false. And as, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, uh, it doesn't accord this this using the law in this way to become accepted uh, by God on this sort of individual basis to be justified, to be declared in the right with God, uh, should stand patently false based on both their experience and uh, based on Scripture. So they didn't receive the Spirit because they did anything to, to merit that or, or earn that, or mm-hmm. they didn't live by the law. It wasn't that they lived by the law consistently enough to, to receive the Spirit. It wasn't that they lived in such a way that miracles were then made possible in their midst that, that, that you referenced a second ago, Aaron. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then as we'll, we'll see as we um, get into how Paul appeals to Abraham, uh, Abraham uh, didn't even receive uh, justification in this way by, by law-keeping. Another question that we've got here as well, and then, Josh, I'll let you handle the, handle the last one because I feel like this one, that one will be a lot of fun for you. Sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, the, this next question that we have is, what exactly is Paul doing when he's talking about Abraham and the seed? And so this is what I was referencing when I said that, that he gets into this discussion of, of righteousness, how, how, how our standing before God is mm-hmm. defined. And we see him immediately, he's tying, he's tying the gospel back to events that happened in Genesis. Right. And so Why? And what Paul is doing here is is actually one of the reasons that the Gospel Project exists mm-hmm. um, is because, and this is one of the earliest examples in church history, aside from um, aside from everything that Jesus taught and um, and taught the apostles, but in reco- in the recorded literature of the church, um, this is one of the earliest examples of one of the church's teachers coming and saying. The Old Testament is about the gospel. Right. And that is that the gospel is found in the Old Testament, albeit, if, if you will, in a seed form. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry about that, everybody. It was there, and I had to do it. Uh, but Josh did it first before we started recording, so I'm <laughs> blaming him. But <laughs> You can always blame me for puns. I'll gladly take credit for any good pun. But was that one a good one? 
listeners, well, you, you can, any, listeners can tell us. Well, if we're going to quibble over, is any pun really good? You know, no, not one, but they're still fun. Yeah. All right, this this episode's over. <laughs> All right, so, uh, but the point here is is that the gospel is present in the Old Testament. If if you can, if you're looking for it, the the truth is salvation by grace through faith is rooted in the Old Testament. That salvation for all that for people of all nations by faith alone is rooted in the Old Testament. Um, that that really the first the first the first Jew, the father of the of the Jewish faith, that he was justified by faith. Right. That he that he his the promise was made to him hundreds of years before the law was given. That is that's a reminder to to the Galatians and to us today that the promise has primacy. Sure. Um, and that we have to hold on to the promises of God, and not to and and not look at rules that uh, that we set up in place either. We we can very often take an approach with um, within within Christian circles of looking at okay, well, the Old Testament has all of these commands that that are right, that are wise and 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 good and. Uh, I know I'm spoiling the next the next piece, but we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are, but they're not bad for us. But what is? But we're not at. But we can't elevate those above what their ultimate basis is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like we have to remember when when God even gave the Ten Commandments. What he didn't start with was he didn't start with rules. He didn't start with here's the first commandment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm the I'm the Lord your God. Worship no other gods but me. Um, he said the beginning of it is I am the Lord your God who rescued you out right. of Egypt. It's basically saying this is me. This is what I have done. You are my people. Therefore, do this. Right. Um, where. And and that ultimately is what Paul is kind of pointing back mm-hmm. to. So he's he's helping the Galatians and helping us connect the redemptive threads of the Old Testament to what they have heard and experienced, and to help them think through what they are being exposed to through other teachers. Yes, that, that's why it's so important that Paul does go back to Abraham before he gives this sort of overview of a biblical theology of what the law is and what its function was. So we have to go back to the Abrahamic covenant, as, as theologians call it, uh, that this, these promises to Abraham weren't conditional upon uh, Abraham's uh, successors, his offspring, his seed, uh, to, use, to use that terminology. It wasn't contingent upon their uh, their, their obedience, that, that the promises made to Abraham that all the nations uh, would be blessed in him. Mm-hmm. And Paul grounds that in Abraham's own experience of receiving justification in Genesis 15 that Paul quotes here in, in, in Galatians 3, uh, where it says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him or reckoned to him as righteousness, depending on what translation you're using. But he was imputed with a perfect... Uh, righteousness with with as if he perfectly uh, obeyed God and as, as we have revealed to us 
uh, with, the, with the remainder of the Bible, it's Jesus who earned that perfect righteousness for us. So with a view toward the cross and Jesus' resurrection and his achieving our justification, he applied that, that righteousness to Abraham in a, in a, in a, in a uh, prospective way, in a forward-looking uh, way. And we, ha- we have to get Abraham right first before we can understand the, the purpose of the law. And so when, when Paul brings up the law, a lot of Christians think that, well, Paul is saying that the law was bad, and then now God relate, relates to us on a different basis mm-hmm. uh, than, than the law. Now we have a, a better basis. And, and yes, the new covenant is described, such as passages like Hebrews 7 and 8 is the new and better covenant, but it wasn't to say that the, the old covenant was bad in itself on its own terms. It wasn't to say that the law and its commandments were bad in, in themselves. That's not what Paul is after here in, in Galatians. He's not saying that the law was bad, but that it was by design insufficient to redeem sinners. People already had a sin problem. Sin is a, sin is a heart problem. Sin is, there's a, there's a fundamental problem with humans in terms of their relationship with God and their, their disposition toward toward God. And so the law was given as this this codified, this, this written down way of, of wisdom and obedience uh, to God, Yahweh, as he's called in the Old Testament, that Israel was to uh, carry out and embody uh, before the nations to make themselves distinct and holy. They were to be a nation of priests and a holy nation before the watching world, as it were, to show what it would be like if God were to redeem a people and then show them what it should look like for them to walk in his ways and contrast with the, the worldly ways, the ways of the, of the, of the pagan uh, nations and, and groups that, that, that were out there. So the curses and the blessings that came through either disobedience or obedience, as, as described in, in uh, especially the disobedience and the, the curse passage described in, 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 in uh, gruesome detail, uh, in the Old Testament, you think of passages like Deuteronomy 28. Mm-hmm. Um, these were applied to and given to Israel corporately as a whole. So as they obeyed, uh, not perfectly, but largely um, in, a, in, a, in a consistent way, they would receive blessing. But if they disobeyed largely and corporately, uh, then they would receive curse. And that's eventually where we see the, the, the story go. It, it ends in curse. It ends in exile. Uh, for for Israel, even even when God brings them back out of the land, there's still there's this longing for a for final redemption that they're not under a foreign ruler or foreign oppression. Uh, that there there would be a Messiah to lead them into a to a new age where God's people would uh, rejoice in keeping the law. Uh, but that that doesn't happen if you know anything about the the Old Testament story. So when Paul is describing uh, the law in these terms saying if anybody wants to live by them, well, then they need to do them consistently. So the, these false teachers influencing the Galatians are being inconsistent with the law. If they're going to try to say the law um, can be used to justify sinners uh, for the sake of their salvation on this individual capacity, well, then they need to be consistent and, try, and, and demand that they keep the entire law, not just circumcision and, and the food laws, but the, but the law in its, in, in its whole uh, demand. Uh, which was what was expected of Israel, uh, but never, never actually, never actually happened. And God's purposes were still going to remain, even, a, even uh, in spite, I guess we could say it that way, of, of Israel's uh, disobedience. The the law to to put a bow on on this, because I know I've been talking for um, a bit of time here, but it, it exposed human nature. That's what it's getting at when mm-hmm. it says that the law ensnared or entrapped. 
uh, entrapped us in sin and demonstrated that no one, because of how sin infected the human race, could uh, consistently or perfectly follow uh, God's law. No one could love the love could lo- love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, and so, it never was meant to justify sinners. It was meant to guide and give wisdom to to Israel. But another effect or another purpose of the law was that it exposed sin. Uh, for, for what it was and showed us the need uh, for the Messiah to come and bring about salvation by keeping the law on our behalf. That is, that is something that we really have to be mindful of, isn't it, with our relationship with the law. I mean, uh, it's, there's, a, there's a word that, that you'll often hear um, used either by, um, either by theologians or by, by folks who just like really big words, hmm. um, called antinomianism. Right. And so, um, basically it's just meaning anti-law against law. Um, and so what it's, it's really just a fancy term for, um, ultimately licentiousness. So living, however, living as though, as though what you do doesn't matter at all. Um, and that is is equally a perversion of this this understanding of of justification by faith and what it means and entails as um, the perversion of the gospel that the Galatians were facing. And so it is the way that you have described how the law is and in, was intended to be used really really helpful for for countering both of those mm. fundamental errors there. Um, now, as we, uh, as we like to do, as we get to the end of, a, of an episode, let's put a bow on this and offer some guidance uh, for working through this passage with others from a discipleship perspective. So we've got a couple of points here. Uh, Josh, I'll get, uh, how about you take the, the first one? Yeah, sure. Well, we definitely don't want to use Paul's example here as a model for being a, a theological jerk, uh, for, for um, going to Twitter and calling out and uh, editing and hashtagging uh, what we might describe as uh, our theological or political enemies, as, as it were. That there, there are ways to be impassioned, to be uh, concerned uh, about gospel issues, about first matter issues with, without uh, being sinful in how we address others with, with whom we disagree, with whom we might be uh, concerned about. And if you look at the scope of Paul's letters, rarely does he go into this sort of uh, beast mode of concern, if we, mm-hmm. if we could call it that. Uh, he, we, we don't have a lot of examples of Paul talking this harshly. There are moments, uh, such as where he rebuked Peter uh, in, in the Acts uh, 15 narrative you know, leading up to the Jerusalem Council. Uh, we do have we do have examples here and there yeah. of, har- of harsh language, but it, it's it's a rarity. Jesus wasn't going over and turning over tables every day in, in the te- in the temple. There, there's occasion for uh, this, this more serious uh, tone uh, of, of language, and mm-hmm. so we d- we don't want to use this as a as a grounds to to, to uh, justify or vindicate ourselves and and being edgy or combative all the time using kind of the shock jock. Um, Personality that you that you sometimes uh, hear on uh, uh, talk radio, um, we uh, we we aren't we aren't committing the gospel to anyone, and we're not embodying or giving off the aroma of the gospel, as it mm-hmm. as it were. 
uh, if, if we're just looking for opportunity to be uh, this, this enraged or this impassioned uh, about, uh, about issues uh, of, of, of examples of false teaching, if we can put it that way. That is a that is a really good point as well. That um, there is a there is a trend within, um, and I, I mean I've certainly noticed this that just kind of the the temperature level has gone up quite a bit um, in terms of public rhetoric um, and debate, um, where it's not really debating anymore. People are just shouting past one another, mm-hmm. um, and people on multiple sides of like all sides of the theological spectrum are guilty of this. So this is, by the way, people is not us taking shots at any one group. It's we're pointing fingers at everybody, including ourselves sometimes. Um, This is why I say very little on Twitter these days. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably wise, probably wise, Uh, maybe a passive aggressive Bible verse or two, but um, (laughs) it's confession time here. But uh, our podcast is a safe place. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, the uh, but that is that is something that is really important for us to be thinking about as we as we engage. Um, and likewise, it also leads us into thinking about being like to carefully considering what it is that we're hearing and what we're seeing. So it's not just engaging in it by with our words, but it's what are we taking in our inputs, um, if you will. Um, shape our outputs. Mm. Um, this is a way that actually my pastor has described it um, mm. a number of times over this past year. Um, has been like, what are you listening to? What are and not in a controlling kind of kind of way or anything like that. He's like, think carefully, think biblically, think think like a Christian. Evaluate what you are hearing and reading and watching and. And take note of the fact that those things actually do affect you as a person. So consider. So we want to um, consider the sources of what we're hearing and what we're seeing in books, videos, blogs, podcasts, uh, YouTube videos, all this kind of stuff. No matter like whether both, and this is important, both the uh, the the in the. Christian realm, the spiritual teacher side of, side of things, as well as the pop culture things. We we generally focus a lot of times on, you know, how do we think Christianly about movies and TV shows mm-hmm. and music and blah, 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 blah. We we have we have to disciple one another with the same intentionality about voices within um, within our own sphere. Because what we need to be, what we need to remember is that not all voices are trustworthy. Hmm. I mean, remember in Galatians, uh, if I remember correctly, it's in chapter two. Uh, he says to them that some from James came, right? Some from James came and taught you this nonsense. Um, James wasn't teaching them this nonsense. <laughs> But these were, um, but these guys were the these guys were um, professing Jewish Christians who were like, no, you have to keep the law. Um, anyway, um, but the fact is, is that the gospel that they were they were proclaiming was a false one. Right. Right. So the point here is, is that not all voices are trustworthy, even if they come in the name of Jesus. So some of some are just small e error wrong on on some points 
doesn't mean we have to throw out the baby with the bathwater um, on everything. Uh, and please forgive the cliche. Um, but there are some who are there who, under the name of Jesus, are looking to just make a name for themselves. They are, uh, they are not, um, they're not serving or doing what they're doing um, out of compassion and love, uh, compassion for God's people and love for God's word. They are doing it for ungodly gain. They're doing it out of greed to build, make a name for themselves, just like the, just like the people um, at the Tower of Babel did. Exactly. And I think it's important to point out, too, that we not uh, look down too much in a condescending way toward uh, the Galatian believers who were being uh, misled by this this teaching. Uh, Because the problem that Paul is addressing on a fundamental sort of core level isn't just a Galatian problem. it's It's a human problem. We're all tempted to look for some sort of standard that makes us really accepted before God or before our community. And that, that's what was happening with these uh, Galatian believers. They were looking to the law, or at least parts of the law, such as the, the circumcision um, commands, uh, to make them uh, really right before God and a part of uh, the community uh, of God's people. Mm-hmm. And so we, we as Christians uh, who... You know, as Protestants affirm justification by faith alone, through grace alone, and, and Christ alone, uh, we we can fall into this this trap just as easily. And we don't do it so much in making the law necessarily our standard by which God accepts us. We we can even give at least lip service to the fact that we're justified by faith alone because Jesus obeyed for us and also died for us to to free us from the the condemnation of the law and to fulfill the law on our behalf. So we can believe those things, but still think that, well, God would really be more pleased with me if I did X or if I did Y, or Mm -hmm. I can show that I'm a really serious Christian if I do Z or A. And so we, we, we can add to the gospel ourselves like, the, like these false teachers did and like the Galatians were uh, tempted to, to believe and, and thinking that justification in Jesus is not enough for God to wholly and without reservation accept us before him because it's not based on our performance but based purely and entirely on Jesus' performance uh, that, that he accepts us, uh, that we stand uh, before him as if we, uh, to quote the Heidelberg uh, Catechism, never sinned and never been a sinner. That That is great news, and as we reflect, sometimes we can think it's silly that we believed otherwise, but it's just, it's just human nature to want to find something in ourselves and in our own doing that adds to our justification or our acceptance before, before God, to put it in more crass terms. Yeah. Man, that is a great note to end on so let's uh let's call it a discussion on this passage for today so thanks josh for being here and chatting about this it's been really great thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast as well if you enjoyed it please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show and for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel please visit gospelproject.com